After adopting two children and moving to a rural community for her husband's teaching job, today's guest woke up to discover that her husband had devastatingly passed away in his sleep. She now had to tick the title usually reserved for those much older, widow. Along with being a young widow, there was now the fact that her husband's tragic death meant that she was now a single parent and needed to figure out how to step into that single parent role and shoulder the responsibility that had once been shared. Incredibly, she found a way through the grief and found love again, and you'll be amazed at what is not on her wish list for her new partner. Through her business filled with gold, her purpose is now to provide care packages to widows specifically to support them with their own self-care in mind. You can read her full story in her memoir, also titled Filled with Gold. Ladies and gentlemen, Melissa Pierce. Welcome to One Moment, Please the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Well, thanks for joining me. Let me put my phone on um, flight mode so I don't get interrupted. Yeah, and I just turned mine off. So Perfect. How's your day going so far? Good. Enjoy, it's, yes. it's 5 p.m. my time, so the day is the day is almost done. Yeah. Well, I hope it was a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, your story when I heard it was one of shock, but also one of my really worst nightmares um, in terms of what could happen to one's partner. Mm-hmm. Tell us your story, Melissa. Um, well, my story starts in, uh, well, really in 2005, when I adopted my um, kids from foster mm-hmm. care. They were five and seven. And um, I, my husband, Dave, and I had some fertility issues, infertility issues. And um, we decided to adopt older children from the Oregon foster care system. I live in Oregon and in the, on the West coast of the U S and they were 10 and 13 when you adopted them. Oh, uh, they were five and seven. Five and yeah. Seven. Okay. They were five and seven and they're brothers. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we, we started out, we had a little family of four and it just, it was like, boom, all of a sudden I'm a mom. I'm a parent. Um, Didn't and so, into, she needs into it either. He went straight with the two. Yeah, it was like one yeah. uh, Sunday afternoon. I mean, we we met them um, mm. Sunday afternoon, and and it was interesting because you know they have social workers and we had counselors and everybody, and we came up with this three three week transition plan to transition okay. the boys into our home. And, you know, we had everything all set up and we met them Sunday afternoon and just um, hanging out with them at the park. And um, they were like, well, can we come see, you know, your dog? Because we have, we had a, a dog and uh, can we come see your house? So we talked to their current foster parents and they said, sure, yeah, um, you can take them um, to your home and, and check it out. And then they wanted to stay and they wanted to spend the night. Well, we didn't have any clothes or anything like that for them. Um, so we checked it out with our social worker and everybody and, and they said, yeah, that was fine. So they were there. They were with us that day. They did oh, not wow. leave our home. So there, there and went they didn't that. leave after that. And never the uh-uh. three week plan went out the window. It went how out the you, window. How mm-hmm. did you, uh, I've, 
I know that the um, adoption process over in America is very different to the adoption process in Australia, um, and both of which I've got no experience in. Mm -hmm. What's the process of actually finding – do you find the – and I'm doing inverted Mm -hmm. quotes, guys. Do you find the children? Like how do you come across these these children that that you want to bring into your home and and have that family? Mm Mm-hmm. We decided to adopt older children from the the foster care system because we, yeah. uh, Dave and I are both a little bit older in our late 30s and mm-hmm. um, thought that having an infant, we, we were like, hey, there's so many kids that need stable homes and, and we're a stable, loving home. And so we ended up um, contacting in, in the States, it was called Boys and Girls Aid Society. And... We ended up getting trained and background checked, and and then we had a, a caseworker assigned to us, mm-hmm. um, and so she helped us through the process. She was somebody who worked for the state, and um, and her specialty was placing uh, kids in the foster care system with with loving, stable fa- families. So we had our own kind of advocate, which was kind of cool. And then the boys, our boys had their own caseworker. So that's kind of how it came together. Um, it was weird. So I, this was 15 years ago. So I don't, it's probably changed since then. But uh, we actually would go into the, uh, the offices, the foster care offices, and look through three ring notebooks of like almost like a catalog that had all the kids' pictures and kind of a, a background story on why they were um, in placement in foster care and and what they were all about. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was strange. I'm sure there's it's a little more high-tech these days, but back but 15 years ago. So you were looking through basically yeah. every – and what do you look uh, – it sounds – I understand that's the reality of it, but it yeah. sort of sounds awful that you're looking through it pictures is. of these kids. Yeah. yeah, it's really strange, actually, when you think yeah. about it. I don't know. I think we would just look through and kind of go with your gut a little bit, you know, go with your inner wisdom. And and um, we wanted siblings. We did. Mm-hmm. We, we wanted multiple um, kids, yeah. and. Um, so that's it's just nice kind that you of kept them together. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just weird. It was just um, we kind of chose each other in a in a in a strange way. Um, yeah. But it was looking like looking through a catalog, which was very bizarre. <laughs> What's the process in place if you guys didn't mesh, like on that meeting? Well, there's lots of support. I mean, there was, yeah. I mean, it's challenging for sure. Yeah. There's a honeymoon period. So like the first week or I think the first 10 days, like everybody's on good behavior, you know, yeah. and then, you know, kids are kids. And <laughs> Don't it, send me back. Don't send right. me back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was just never an option for us. We, we had heard some horror stories, but we were so solid in, in what we wanted. And Dave and I also just thought, you know what, together us two together can mm. we're we're a great team we can handle anything you know mm. any challenges that come our way and you know that's pretty kind of um pollyanna-ish or just are just like oh we can handle anything because it was tough you know it's really it's tough these these kids have been in and out of foster care and removed from their homes and um that's really traumatic you know mm. when you're a kid 
and, and there's all kinds of behaviors and things that pop up. And but you know, Dave and I together, we were able to to manage it and handle it and parent our kids. Does, does the foster care system provide count, like intensive therapy for the for the kids? Yes, they do. Yeah. So what was great? There was just so many services wrapped around us. Um, Dave and I and the kids. So there was like free counseling, family counseling, individual counseling, um, you know, medical care, just any kind of support because we had to foster them actually. So we weren't able to adopt them for another year because uh, the term, the parental rights, they had their mom, their birth mom did not um, relinquish her parental rights. And so the state was at that point was um in the process of terminating her parental rights so it took took a year and she actually voluntarily relinquished the rights um and so we were able to legally adopt them and um she is she is part of the it's an open adoption so our boys got to see her and um they have a relationship with her now as well and i have a relationship with her so it's it's um you know, it's worked out really well. How do you fight the jealousy and that feeling of, I suppose with a closed adoption, it's there's a level of out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's the, there's the trauma and the counselling and everything you need to work through with the kids, but you're not having to have that brought up every time that they're seeing their birth mother. Mm-hmm. And also I would imagine that there's some emotions attached to that for you as well mm-hmm. how did what made you decide to go with an open adoption because you there is a choice over in america isn't there a closed or open whether or not they have that contact yeah i believe it's by state so i know oregon is an open adoption state so mm-hmm. but we got to determine how open we wanted that to be openness mm-hmm. could have been a christmas card once a year or it could be you know visitation so it could really ram the gamut so we, what we ended up doing is um, mediating, actually going through an official mediation where we came up with a mediation agreement between um, our boy's birth mom and Dave and myself. And so we sat mm-hmm. with a mediator and we kind of negotiated what openness looked like and had it all written down and we signed it. And um, And it was really hard for me because I am face to face with like I'm a mom, I have my mom energy and, yeah. and she has her mom energy. And that was really difficult the first couple of times. I was really angry um, at her and I was also kind of jealous and, mm. you know, all all the emotions. Natural emotions yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. But um, we actually have a really good relationship. And, and you know, the boys are 21 and 23 now. Yeah. Um, but we've had... You know, you have to just communicate. Um, you know, the boys, we didn't want them to think that they came from from bad people or they were, you know, just we just wanted it to be really healthy. And mm. so the healthiest way we could do that was we would have supervised visits mm-hmm. with her. And so Dave and I would supervise, like go to a park or whatever, and we'd hang out. And then boys would play with um, their birth mom and um, they also have older siblings, and so we we're all, we were very open um, with their older siblings. We just wanted to make sure everybody's was all cool, you know, like as much as we could. Was the birth father in the picture? 
he died of um he was a heroin addict mm-hmm. so he died of um that addiction when i don't think my youngest even remembers him right. and i think my oldest is maybe 4 so you were dealing with this other mother energy Mm-hmm. And Dave, your husband, didn't have that as well. Right. Like, so he couldn't actually relate to you in that situation no. either. It was all oh, easy breezy no. for him. And him. I would just be so I would just be so emotional and just um upset. And you know, and I, I finally I just explained to him, like, you're not sitting across from yeah. from the counter your counterpart. I am. Yeah. You know, she's right here. And it was just really it was difficult. It was. But um you know, we got through it pretty, pretty quickly because we just really wanted to keep, um, you know, it was really all about the boys. It it kind of was not about us. It was like, Mm. what's the best thing for, for these, for these kids. And that was to maintain a relationship. Were Um, the boys older siblings still with their birth mother? No. Or they also fostered out? They were in uh, different foster placements. Yeah. So you had to negotiate with the other foster placements for that relationship. Yes, yeah, okay. it was a lot of coordination, and I'm, and but I'm good at that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, I had to herd the cats there sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm sure that they appreciated yeah. it. Now, talk to me up into the lead up to the significant event that mm-hmm. sort of happened after after that. Um, so we were living in Portland, Oregon, which is um, on the, the west coast of the U.S., and decided to move to the eastern part of the state, which is about 250 miles away from Portland. It's uh, rural, kind of the country. Um, Dave grew up in that area, uh, so he was really familiar with that area, and he had family, like mm-hmm. his folks and stuff were there, and he taught He's a teacher, so he taught math, but his love was was music education. That's what he got his degree in. And he had never been able to teach music because a lot of the music programs were getting cut, budget cuts. So there was an opportunity for him to teach um, K through 12, 12th grade music, which is unheard of in this small town in Eastern Oregon. And so we kind of jumped at the chance to do that. It was a way for like Dave to be on the school, you know, on, on campus with our kids, like teach our kids, coach them. I could work my job remotely. And um, so we just, just, and kind of an adventure, you know, so we decided to move to the Eastern part of the state um, about two years after we adopted the boys. And um, so we, uh, we were lived on the side of a mountain. It was, there was a lot of snow. It was pretty isolating for me. I didn't mm. really care for it that much, but. It, because you're working remotely. Yeah. I'm working remotely. Yeah. Um, my, all my office mates are, you know, 250 miles away. And I, and so I you was, were doing lockdown before the pandemic. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was not really good for, for my psyche, but yeah. Um, in a way, it was actually a, a great way for the four of us to kind of bond as our kind of new little family because, you know, play in the snow and, you know, chop wood and, and do all the things that boys do. Mm. Um, and 
it was just a way for us to connect and then Dave to be, get really close with them as well because he's taking them to school. He's teaching them math and music and, and all the things and coaching all their basketball and football and baseball games. Um, it was, yeah, when it, it was, for that reason, it was lovely. Like I could deal with the isolation because we had this special time together. Then in 2011, um, so about three and a half years after we moved there, uh, Dave just didn't wake up one morning, one Saturday morning. Um, I, I discovered him. He was dead in our, in our bed. And um, yeah, it was, sorry. <laughs> just, I need a moment. Um, it was traumatic. It was, mm. it was the worst day ever and that just set off this trajectory of I'm I'm a solo parent I'm parenting these kids without my love you know without my husband and without my partner and um my kids are devastated the community is devastated it was just shocking because it was he was fine he was healthy he was a healthy he was a healthy guy. I think he had a, he had a physical, like maybe three weeks prior. He had his blood sugar was fine. His cholesterol was fine. You know, he was a healthy specimen and a healthy person. And then just not waking up one morning. It's like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I I actually didn't believe it for about six months. I thought it was like a joke or like this, it was not reality. Like this was not, it was a dream or something. Mm. Do they do they know what caused his death? The medical examiner determined that basically it's kind of undisclosed. They don't. I mean, like un kind of natural causes. He did have sleep apnea. He did snore, and so um, they determined that he just stopped breathing be- because of the sleep apnea and um, a respiratory illness because he did feel like he was coming down with something like a couple mm. days prior. He thought he was getting a chest cold. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's, I'll never know for sure. I did see a couple psychics um, <laughs> and they gave me the answers that, that I needed, but it's not a medical answer, you know, but I, I can't really, I can't focus so much on that because I'll just never know for sure. Mm. You know, mm. so I just no. He just stopped. His heart stopped beating, and mm. yeah, it's it was awful. So had he, and and stop me if this is too mm-hmm. painful you to to talk about. But did he um had he gone down for a nap, or was it that you woke up in the morning and he was not waking yeah. up? I woke up. Um, so my oldest was on a field trip in Portland, 250 miles away. Wow. And so my, um, we had gone out the night before to meet some friends at a, a pizza parlor and came back. So it was Dave, my youngest and myself came back home and Dave's like, well, I just don't feel that good. Uh, I think I'm getting a chest cold. I'm just going to go to bed. And so he kissed me on the cheek. So he's like, I don't want to get you sick. And Every other night of my life, I had slept with him in our bed, but 
I had fallen asleep with my youngest on our sofa bed watching a movie out in the living room. And I woke up the next morning early and let the dog out and and did all the things. And we had to get ready for a basketball game that Dave was coaching. And I thought to myself, God, he should be up by now. He's a pretty early riser. And so mm. I went in and that's where I um, I discovered his his body, like his um, his leg was outside of the the sheet, and it was like the color was was wrong. Like in my mind, I'm like God, that's a weird color on his ankle, like a bruise or like gray or something. And then that's when I realized that he um he was dead. And so I did CPR and I did all the the things, but it, it he was cold. So Mm. I remember I couldn't like find my phone. Like I was just screaming and yelling and I couldn't find my phone. Then I realized I had a landline for my job. So I went and grabbed that phone and called 911, the paramedics. And then they, they were asking me to do CPR. And I said, I would, I was doing it or I had already done it. And then um, they were able to reach my, my brother-in-law who lived near town. And so he was able to come up and before the paramedics, we had had a snowstorm there the night before snow and ice. So it took the paramedics about like an hour to, to get there. So yeah, it, it was, yeah. It's hard to talk about, like sometimes I can talk about it, like very matter of factly, like this happened. And then sometimes it's it's hard it for me you. to talk about. I mean, mm. I'm cool talking about it because I wrote a book about it, and mm. I, you know, it's it's part of me. I'm a widow, and 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 that's what happened. But it is it is hard sometimes, yeah, to talk about. Your book's called Filled with Gold, mm-hmm. um, and that's your story about what happened. Is that what the? Yeah. So the book starts out on the very first day that we met our kids and Mm. then goes, goes from there. And so I chose the title filled with gold because the imagery is, if you've heard of the art, the Japanese art of Kintsugi, Mm -hmm. I think you have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's where the, um, the artisans take a broken piece of pottery that otherwise they probably would have thrown away, but they fuse it back together with gold lacquer, gold or silver mm. lacquer. So the piece is like even more beautiful because of where the, the cracks have been mended with the, with the gold lacquer. And that just that imagery really resonates with me because it felt like my heart was shattered <laughs> in a million pieces and just confused back together, you know, with, with all everything that I was doing, Um, all the work that I was doing around processing my grief and making myself feel better. That's kind of what fused everything back together where it was kind of to to a place where I could actually see some hope come in. You mentioned that it took about six months to realize that it wasn't an awful dream. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the time, like, do you remember that moment that, that you were like, okay, this is reality? Yes. So around the six month mark, I mean, honestly, it's a crazy, I mean, I thought I was crazy because Mm. I, even though I saw his body, 
his his body that was dead and I saw it at the funeral home, I, I just couldn't believe it. And mm. I would think to myself, well, he's just on a fishing trip and he's going to come back through the door. It's a coping and, mechanism though, isn't it? What's that? Coping mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. I think mm. it was just like my brain's way of just protecting itself. I was in shock. Mm. But around the six month mark, um, like the school year was ending and I came to the realization like, wow, I'm really alone. Like mm. I'm really doing this alone. I'm parenting our kids. I'm making household decisions. I'm doing everything alone. I don't have my partner anymore. Um, I don't have my husband, my best friend. I don't have them anymore. And so it was just kind of this reality. It was like, okay, I need to start making some decisions about like where we're going to live, where I'm going to raise the kids. Um, we don't need to be in this community anymore because that's where we were here for Dave's job. And I really need to be where I can have the support that I need, which was back mm. in Portland. So I was listening to um, an interview with a um, someone else that had lost their partner. And she said the one thing that you expect the grief and you expect the, the anger and the sadness. She said she didn't expect the fear. Did you experience that? I experienced probably 50 different emotions mm. in like a matter in of five hour, minutes. Hour, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. So I'm sure fear was in there. Um, fear, you know, a lot of the fear I had was just around, Somebody like I was really scared my kids were going to die or mm. I was scared that I was going to die or I would sometimes I would wake them up in the middle of the night to make sure that they were breathing. I would um, just a level of anxiety. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm. And at that time I was not in grief counseling. I didn't engage with grief counseling until probably around that six month mark. Um and I just thought, well, this is life now. I'm, I need to like have a mirror and make sure and hold it under their noses to make sure that they're breathing or that, yeah, there was a lot of anxiety there. So yeah, fear, anxiety. Yeah, for sure. How did the boys cope again with a massive trauma and upheaval and moving again? And mm -hmm. how did they cope and then you dealing with that as a single parent because I'd imagine that there would have been some behavioral um, reactions mm -hmm. yeah the behavioral stuff didn't really I think we were just in shock for about a year so th so the behavioral yeah. stuff didn't really come to a head until kind of after that first year uh, the boys were so like from early on you know in their childhood before we met them they had so much upheaval and so much moving around i think they just unfortunately had coping skills mm. um around uh, you know chaos and trauma yeah. and and it's yeah i mean it's not a, a it's a great it's not a great thing but they it just seemed like that first year was just really i think we were just in shock and we were just like going all three of us just going through the motions like get up eat something, go to school. I would go to work or, you know, work at my job remotely and go to basketball games and just kind of lather, rinse, repeat. And so once we, once we got back to Portland, 
and some of that started, the shock started to wear off. That's when um, some of the challenges came up with, with my kids. And what sort of challenges were they? Um, well, my, my oldest was very shut down and mm. just really did not want to talk about or acknowledge that David died and would leave the room if, if there was any discussion about Dave. Um, even though we had in our, in between our kitchen and our dining room, there was this really cool shelf. And so we had a lot of like Dave's picture and memorabilia and some of his baseball hats. And so it was always present and there um, he would just, I think it was just too painful for him to, mm-hmm. to, to acknowledge. And so he just shut and stuffed everything down and you can only stuff your emotions for so long. Mm. Um, especially when you're a boy who's going through puberty and you have all the hormones, hormones and all yep. that, Crazy you know, on top too. of, you know, you know, pain and loss and, and trauma mm. and trying to, trying to manage all that or process all that, you know, of course he's, you know, he's going to have some, some challenges that way. So, mm. Mm. so, how did you start picking up the pieces? Because it sort of sounds like you moved to Portland and mm-hmm. for that family support, but that almost gave you the ability to breathe and and start processing mm-hmm. that um, grief, which can put you back a little bit before you step forward. Right. Um, at what point did you sort of – what was the turning point? Do you remember a turning point where you sort of said, you know, I have to – I have to – flick a switch in terms mm-hmm. of getting on with things or can you do that or is it just a process? Well, I remember when we lived in the community where Dave died, it was a beautiful community. Every The whole town was devastated. Um, and what I, what I didn't like, I didn't feel like I could breathe because I didn't have any anonymity. Like everywhere mm. I went, I was – like whether it was a grocery store buying eggs or whatever, everywhere I went, people, you know, I'm like, Oh, they just look at me. And I, sometimes I just want to get some eggs, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't need want... to be stopped. And yeah, told and that which, I'm you know, people are lovely and, and they yeah. want to be supportive, but I just, I felt like I was on display or I felt like I had to behave a certain way or act a certain way or be strong or whatever. Suffocated. Yeah. So when I moved back to bigger city and, and I had the family and friend support, I felt like I could breathe a little bit and I could kind of let it all hang out. And at that point, when I was kind of starting to wake up to the reality that I was alone and Dave had truly died and was not coming back mm. and I was never going to see him again, I started to... Well, I knew that I needed some additional support. So I, I got myself into some grief counseling and I, just to help me understand like that I wasn't crazy (laughs) because I was having, you know, crazy thoughts, you know, and, and, um, always asking myself, is that normal? You know, is that when you're saying crazy thoughts, what are the crazy thoughts that you're thinking that you're crazy from thinking? Um, the whole thing around like waking my kids up or checking on them in the middle of the night, I thought that's probably not good. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's probably not something I need to be doing every night. I just need to trust that I don't have control over because it was such an out of control thing for Dave to that's die. Such a, it's such a hard thing though to be. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah I have to... control issues big time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have them before Dave's death? I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, I probably did, but I think it just got so heightened because, um, because it was so out of order and out of control. So I thought, okay, let me, let me see what I can control. Oh, okay. I'm going to check to see if the kids are breathing or, you know, like, or, oh, I'm going to, um, I haven't heard from my mom. I need to call her because I think maybe something's wrong with her. Like I was had all this. That full anxiety. Yeah. And so, um, and I also wanted. I wanted a guide. I wanted like a handbook on how to be a widow. And yeah. so I thought, well, maybe a grief counselor has something like that. Well, there is no, <laughs> there's nothing like that. <laughs> I um, I interviewed a lady yesterday, actually, whose husband um, unfortunately was murdered. Mm-hmm. And um, she was saying she was so angry, but it was so irrational. Like she'd go to the supermarket and she'd be like, why don't they just make loaves of bread for one pe- one person, you know? <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh my so, god! I think it's very normal to have the irrational, right? Um, yeah, thought processes. Yeah. Oh, speaking <laughs> of grocery stores, oh my god! If that is not a trigger, that is such a triggering place. I had really? abandoned so many grocery carts with like ice cream is probably leaking down and melting. It's just such a hard place to be. Um, the grocery why? store. I never... just, why? Just because you're feeding your family? Is that because you're... Yeah, you're seeing food. Like there was food, Dave's favorite foods. Mm. Or there would be a song that would come on, you know, the the Muzak song or whatever would come on. And then it would just, maybe that triggered a memory or a smell or Mm. something like that. And it was just always... And then just doing it alone. I would always go on Sunday nights. So the boys would be doing their homework. And then I would go Sunday um, evenings to you know stock up for the week and it was just like and then i'm going home to you know just me and the kids and nobody to talk to you know i mean i have friends and 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 family and all that but it's not your partner yeah it's not the same you would i would imagine you probably would have felt although you're there with that support network fairly isolated as well Mm -hmm. and 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 alone because you Mm -hmm. don't have your partner yeah (sighs) <sighs> Did the grief counseling assist you? Yes. Good. Yeah, it it helped just to have somebody like I could it took a while. It took a couple yeah. months for me to really trust because I had no never magic wand. Yeah. I've never yeah. been in therapy before, mm. which I probably should have been in therapy. But <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, as I look back on it, but... um, That's a different podcast episode. Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, But it was nice to have the the counselor, like, whatever I would say, and she she would be like, she'd kind of hold a mirror up, like, hey, I mean, look look what you're doing. Look at all that you're doing really, really hard things. And you're normal. And I would, you know, whatever you're you're feeling now, because I'd always be like, well, what stage am I in? 
you know, <laughs> what, what the practical, okay, I've got, I'm at this stage, so therefore I've got this and this right. to go. That means I'm going to be feeling like this for X amount of time. Yes, I really wanted this A to Z handbook. I just like, hey, can you give me some homework to do so I can get, so I can feel better? Thank you. Just pull that bloody magic wand out. Come yeah. on now. Yeah. You know, I just, I didn't understand, like, it's all, it's not linear. It's all over the place. And, and there's no like, hey, um, I remember like when I first, uh, first couple sessions, I would say, hey, so how long does this take? Like, <laughs> like, give me an average. I know you work with widows and widowers. Like, and what's I know the average? Different, yeah. But how long is it going to be for me? <laughs> right. I know. I mean, it's like, can you like, where am I on this on this scale? Um, so silly. But yeah, it's not silly. I think yeah. it's a uh, you needing that that light at the end of the tunnel, really, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. And really, it was yeah. like, when am I going to feel better? Or when am I going to feel like I might feel better? Or mm. so, yeah, that was, yeah, I felt like my body was really tired. My body was sore. Like I, I, everything. And I just felt like crap, you know, I just didn't feel good. Well, I think it's all you, isn't it? And when you're experiencing heightened emotions such as grief, which is all, mm-hmm encompassing um then it's natural that on a cellular level that you're gonna feel like shit too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but i didn't understand that i'm like why am i sore all the time or you know why am i you know and so she would just kind of explain to me like yeah oh this is how this works okay (laughs) you mentioned that you saw psychics Mm -hmm. is that because you were feeling his presence around you like what made you go to a psychic just for answers you said you went to three so uh, oh, I actually went to two, two okay. psychics, but um, yeah, I wanted to, I knew he was around, you know, I knew there was a couple times physically, like he was there Yeah. Um, and I know it and I don't need to, anybody else to believe it, but <laughs> actually he came when my mom was, it was Mother's Day. It was like the Saturday before Mother's Day. Yeah. And so my mom was... Um, staying at the house at my house and so we were in in my big king bed together but she was sleeping on dave's side Mm. and um it was like i don't know two or three in the morning and all the lights are out everyone's asleep and she told me this the next morning she's like well you know the lights came on last night in the in the bedroom i'm like really that's weird you know like there's no way our dog could have turned the lights on or Mm. and so we asked the boys, like, hey, did you guys get up in the middle of the night and, you know, turn the, turn the, the bedroom on? light on? They're like, yeah. no. And and I'm like, oh, that was Dave. He was like, happy Mother's Day. And Gene, you're in my spot. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> get there's, out. there's no way, there's no way those lights could have turned on. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm a big believer in all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I believe that, um, he was certainly turning those lights on for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was really trippy. And then there was another time when I felt I was in bed, I think I was reading or something. And I just felt a a hand just kind of really lightly just on my bed. And I looked down and there was an impression on, on the bedspread. Yeah. And like my dog was down at the foot of the bed. He was on the floor. I mean, there's, nothing and it was just like this really warm 
this here. warm feeling. And mm. like, I talk to him all the time. I, yeah. he comes to me through music. He was a musician. So a lot of time, like certain songs will come on in, in succession and like one after another that really, really don't fit together in like musical genres, but they'll like, if I'm at a store or whatever, they'll come on. I'm like, that's him. You know, that's, he's saying that he, you know, he's here. And what happens when that, ha- do you just dissolve in this? St- I would I'd dissolve into a puddle in this store. I usually just, you know, early on, I'm 10 years out. And so now it just kind of gives me this warm, I usually just, I'll just kind of stop and stop talking. Like, like it's happened. I'm remarried. And so sometimes it happens with my, with my husband, Sean, and, uh, I'll just stop talking and it'll just be like, Oh, that's weird. And then I'll explain to him like, Oh yes, here's the songs. Dave was here. And so he's like, Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. He'll be like, Hey Dave. <laughs> <laughs> when some, um, when did you get to the point where you could, or how did you arrive at the point where you got to the point where you, you could allow yourself to be vulnerable again to have another relationship? Mm. Yeah, without thinking that they're going to die. Well, I would have just imagined that you just had a constant mirror up under the nose when I slept. Yeah, I, you know, I do that all the time. I do that all the time. But um, do you really around. still? You do. I do. Like sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll just I'll make sure that I can hear Sean breathing, yeah. or I can, yeah. you know, see the covers going up and down. I, I think do that's that. normal. I, I think, think that's it's normal. always going to happen. Yeah. I just live with it. Um, it was about eighteen months, a year and a half out, and I was doing a lot of a lot of grief counseling. I was doing a lot of processing of my emotions and really understanding. And I was getting to a point where, like, for the first time in my life, I really trusted my gut, you know, my inner wisdom, and I was making some pretty pretty profound decisions um, Mm. about, you know, my care and the care of my kids. And also like, I want to feel good and, and, and I'm good in partnership and I like being in partnership. So I decided to kind of write out and get really clear on what that looked like. And so I would write out, I wrote out like two and a half, three pages of what I wanted in and a potential partner or in dating or really what I wanted, how I wanted to feel, um, what I wanted this person to be like. And I'm like, okay, I set it aside, put it in the desk drawer. And that was that. I'm like, okay, whatever happens, I'll just go about my life. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I ended up meeting Sean uh, a few months later after, and he was the first, first person I dated. And um, we ended up, you know, it wasn't all, it was very tentative, you know, at the beginning. Cause I was like, Oh, I don't know. You know, like this is getting serious and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I think then he freaked out a little bit, you know? So it's like, we, we were kind of dancing around each other and then we realized, mm-hmm. wow, we, we just really like each other. We want to be in each other's lives. And then just discovered what that, what that looked like. And we ended up getting married five years ago so about four and a half years after after dave died how did you guys meet we met 
uh, at a restaurant and it was a part of a group that I was in that he was in and there was 12 of us and we're just, everyone's talking to each other. And I mm-hmm. heard he was across the table and he said something about where he grew up, uh, the town he grew up in, in a suburb mm-hmm. of Portland. I'm like, well, I grew up there too. Like what, what year did you graduate high school? And it was the same year as me. And I'm like, well, who are you? Like, <laughs> How wh- do I who- not know you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course we look 30 years later, we look a little yeah. different, but yeah. um, it ends up being I'm like, I kind of recognized him and he kind of recognized me. And we had like mutual friends um, back in high school and we ended up going, we had gone to the same church together. We had, in our adult lives, our we lived like a street and a half away from each other in another town. Um, our kids went to the same school, mm. <laughs> and it was just really crazy. So it was like we were kind of encircling each other's lives in our adult mm. lives, and then we we met up, and yeah, it was pretty crazy. So it's almost like he was kind of vetted because we knew the same people. So I knew he wasn't like a serial killer or anything like, <laughs> like that, you know, or like, know. yeah, <laughs> like, you know, so, and he was a really good guy and, and our families get along really well together. And it's, and it's what I wanted. It's what I ordered up when I wrote all that stuff down on those lists. It's like, I really. No serial killers. That was the yeah. top of your list. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was like fourth down, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> what was, what were the first three? Oh my gosh. Okay. One of them was, I don't think these were the top three, but they were up there. It was, had to be a good speller. Oh, that was before not a serial killer? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it drives me crazy, the, the, the spelling, but, and, and he is not the best speller. He's, he's, uh. he's incredibly intelligent. He's a software engineer, yeah. but not the best speller on text, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but you know, I got to let that one go. He, he hit, he hit the really, the really top ones. So. Right. So two and three were below spelling and above, not a serial yeah. killer. Right. <laughs> well, and one of the, <laughs> you know, I have my priorities, you know? <laughs> <laughs> For me personally, no serial killer would have been top of the list. Yeah, no, actually, it, that was not on the list, but but it should have been. Um, but one of the top things was like he had to respect my relationship and and be okay with my relationship, my continued relationship with Dave, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's it's like I have two husbands. I have a husband who died, and I have a husband who is in this life with me now. Yeah. And also, you know, respect who I am as a parent to my kids. Mm. And he does that. He's amazing. Has that been a hard, you mentioned he's got his own children. So Mm -hmm. from what I'm picking up, he sounds like he had, he's not a widower. Right. He's divorced. He's divorced. Mm -hmm. So how did you help him navigate that um, process in terms of, I'm not a, I'm not divorced, you know, like my love of my life passed away. You're still kind of living with this ghost hanging over your shoulder mm-hmm. for him, so to speak, mm-hmm. metaphorically. Mm-hmm. And then he then comes in and he's got kids because your kids would have been what? How old are your kids when you came along? My kids, when, when Sean and I met, they were 12, almost 13 and 15. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And I talked to my boys about that, you know, like this is, I'm thinking about, you know, maybe dating and, and, and they're just like, Oh God, just just do it. Like, Oh, you don't care. (laughs) And, um, and his kids are, Sean's kids are older, a little bit older. And his, two of his kids were adults that were out of the house at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sean is a, an extremely confident person, and he's really confident in who he is, mm-hmm. and he loves me, and, and we love each other, and he's, it was one of the things, like, he would always encourage me to tell stories about Dave. Wow, that's And at amazing. the beginning of our dating, you know, I'd just be like, well, you know, ah, that makes me a little uncomfortable. But he would just really encourage me to just talk about him. And at one point I was telling the story and he's like, you know what? I think Dave and I would have been friends. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, uh, you would have. Like Dave was not somebody who had a ton of friends, but the friends that he had, they were solid. Mm. And I I can see where like Sean and Dave would have been friends. That's lovely though that he did that because it wasn't Mm -hmm. by him doing that. It's not, you need to ignore that. Parts mm-hmm. like he was making it okay for you to bring that into your relationship with him, which is a beautiful thing, right? Yeah, yeah, what a special guy! He really is. He really is. How did you come to the point of um starting your business, which is the uh care monthly care gifts that you send out mm-hmm. to, to um, is it widows and widowers or just widows? It's just widows, mm-hmm. yeah. I just basically, I I wanted to take this experience and some of the the wisdom and that I learned, basically, it was really to start taking care of myself, better care mm-hmm. of myself. I wanted to take, you know, some of that wisdom and serve the widowed community. Basically, mm-hmm. I wanted... I wanted to create something that I needed but wasn't out there when I really needed it back in, mm-hmm. you know, 2011, 12, and 13. And it's um, the same name as your book, isn't it? Filled with gold? Yes. Dot yes. Org. Filled with gold. Mm-hmm. And what is it in the monthly s- subscriptions? What do you send out? I send out um, – I hand choose five to seven self-care items, and one of those items is typically a book that is written by a widow or Mm -hmm. a book around the grieving process and the books that I wanted to read that were not available back then. I had a really, really hard time finding resources um, to support me being a younger widow, solo parenting, and Mm -hmm. then the the challenges that come with parenting kids who have lost a parent. It's interesting that you said that it was – that you – struggle because you were a younger widow mm-hmm. did that did the w word make you feel like it didn't apply because that's that's for older women that's for right. women in their 80s that have lost their it's not right. for me yeah it was you weird know. like mm. like um i think the first time i went to the doctor and they have that little, those check boxes the like single boxes. married I bloody hate them oh and then i saw it for the first time like what do i Am I married? Am I a widow? I'm single. Uh, I'm kind of all of them. <laughs> like, do I just check them all off? So, yeah, I had at first I kind of had a hard time, like, widow, you know, somebody wearing black with a veil and an older woman. It's like, no, that's me. I'm a young widow. And my dad died. So my mom is a widow. And I remember being 
she and I went on a hike together in Portland and I just, we got to the top of this, this hill and I'm like, look at us, mom. Like we're two widows, like just <laughs> hanging out and hiking. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just kind of, I, I embrace it. Like I'm a remarried widow. I mean, that's yeah. how, what I consider myself. So the, the books and resources that you put into the, the care packages are mm-hmm. basically the guides and support that you couldn't get access to. Right. The books in particular. And also just like being a parent to kids and doing all the things, working, paying the bills, grocery shopping, uh, feeding the kids, doing the homework. Like I'm Mm. last on that list of things Mm. to do. Mm. And so with this box, particularly with solo parents, it's a box that shows up on your doorstep and you open it up and it gives you permission to take some time out for yourself. It's, it's really what that's the game changer for me. It was when I kind of put myself first um, and getting over that, like it not being selfish to do so, because if I am, if I'm not putting myself first, if I'm not caring for my own needs, that's going to catch up with me. And then that's going to trickle down to my kids. So I need to be at my best so that I can be at my best for them. And mm. in doing that, I had to really take care of myself, whether that was, you know, taking a bath, taking a nap, going for a walk, um, doing some breathing exercises, reading a book or anything. It was just like taking some time out, even if it was for five minutes, just for me. So that's that's the intention that I wanted to create for the for the subscription box. Um, are there different types of boxes, or is it just the one one price one box? Mm-hmm. So each month there is a different box and a different theme. Mm-hmm. So for um, the June box, or the there's two. Uh, the box after this next one um, is going to be around the theme of sleep because sleep was something <laughs> kind of difficult. Um, Particularly you know, when, when you're, you're waking up to put mirrors under people's noses. Right. You know, every you hour know. and yeah. 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 Anxiety <laughs> and loneliness. So anything to just assist with sleeping. So each, each month there are completely different items. So um, there's folks who have signed up for like a three month plan, a six month mm-hmm. plan, and a twelve month plan, and so they'll they'll get different boxes each month. And it and you can a, do a month to month, can't you as well? I'm just on your sign yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, you can do month to month too. And they're great gifts too. I've been finding that a lot of well, almost half of the folks who are purchasing the boxes are widow champions they're not widows themselves purchasing Mm. it for themselves but they're supporters and friends and loved ones who want to don't really know what to do or say and so it's a great way to show their support like hey we love you this box is going to show up on your doorstep every month so yeah yeah i think it's um i think it's important for for women to do that but I think it's also important for them not to feel guilty about doing Mm -hmm. that as well I think women in general put enough guilt on ourselves rather than in that emotional situation as well right yeah because some you can say like oh 
self-care. That's just so indulgent. You know, it's really not. No. You know, it's not at all. Like I, I realized it was kind of like my particular rock bottom was I was not sleeping. I was not taking care of myself and I was mm-hmm. burning out and I was sad and I was lonely and I had all the, all these emotions and I was not dealing with them, but I was soothing myself by over drinking. Like I would put the boys to bed and then I'd be like, Hmm, I'm going to have a glass of wine or two yeah. or three, you know, and that was not serving me. And so at that point I reached out for some help and um, came to the realization, like, I really, really need to choose other things to soothe me that are a little bit healthier. Mm. Well, I think that that's a really um, brave thing to reach out and recognize that it's probably not a healthy coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Um, And how wonderful that you've put it into such a positive uh, business now that that will help other widows. Like, it's terrific. Yeah, I just want to just, I just always felt like compelled. I wrote the book. I want to just serve and take this experience and create this legacy around just helping other people move through extraordinarily difficult, challenging time. Mm. How are the boys now? They're good. They're yeah, they're, they're adults tw- now, aren't they? They're adults. Yes, they're young adults. Uh, my oldest is graduating college. May 8th. Yes, May 8th. So next month. Very, very excited. So um, (laughs) So does that mean you're an empty nester? Yes. Yes. Empty nesters, which is kind of weird because I had this identity as like, oh, I'm a mom. I'm a, you know, actively momming all the things. And now it's like, oh, huh. Who do I have to mom? Well, my dog, I guess. <laughs> You'll have to start care packages now for uh, empty nesters. I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's it's a different time in life. And then, you know, we're in the pandemic, so it's a little isolating for sure. Mm. I know everybody's feeling that. Mm. Well, your website is filledwithgold.org. Uh, people can go on there and uh, do a subscription for the care packages. It's in the mm-hmm. U.S. just at the moment, but you are potentially looking at going international with it. Yes. Yes. Free shipping in the U.S. I'm looking into uh, worldwide shipping and maybe tacking on, maybe having it not be free shipping uh, or maybe a You've got to cover your fee. costs. Yeah. Yeah. You've got yeah. to cover your costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book is also named Filled with Gold. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thanks, Thank Melissa. You. Thanks for coming on board. Oh, thanks, Fiona. I really appreciate this. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. Bye.